Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It is just after 10 o'clock on this Wednesday, May the 3rd, the third day of the provincial election campaign on an official basis. Of course, we've been in campaign mode in this province for a good long while now. We'll go to the polls on May 29th in what promises to be an extremely extremely tight race. The latest polling done for Global News by Ipsos gives the UCP a slight edge, 48%. The NDP, 44% as we get started. When it comes to who would be best choice for Premier, Rachel Notley, 35%. Deadlocked with our next guest, Daniel Smith, also 35%. So, a lot on the line here as we head into these Four weeks of what I'm sure are going to be a very intense campaign. Joining us now is the leader of the United Conservative Party, Daniel Smith. Uh, Ms. Smith, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you being here. You bet, Shane. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of issues to get into. Why don't we just start with with the big one yesterday? And, um, of course, that's the case of Arthur Pulaski. He was found guilty on two of the three charges he faced in connection with the Coots blockade. You're inextricably linked to this case and to Pulaski because of the phone call that we've all heard at this point, a 11-minute phone call that you had as he was awaiting trial on these charges. Um, what's your reaction to him being found guilty on the charges yesterday? Look, I said I, I'm not going to be commenting on the matter. I don't comment on individual cases. So the matter is still uh, ongoing and under review. So I'm just going to leave it at that. It's not ongoing. He's been convicted. What's what's still ongoing? There is still some. If you look at the judgment, you'll see that there's still matters ongoing. And so I just I can't comment on cases that are still before the court. Um, you, you did comment on, on the case. Uh, you said uh, on the phone call that you thought it was politically biased. Uh, that's what it was about. It was about politics. Would you say the judgment then, uh, the two guilty verdicts yesterday that, you know, that are closed, that are done, um, were those politically biased or were those justice being served? As you know, Shay, I, I've never commented publicly on ongoing cases, individual cases. Um, I'm meant to not to comment on this one. Fair enough. Okay. Um, there was also a video that surfaced yesterday of you talking about the Coots blockade um, on one of the podcasts that you frequented. I think it was your podcast, actually, um, uh, saying that you wanted to see a win in Coots. Can you clarify what that means? If there was a win in Coots, what would that have looked like? Well, I think the win for Albertans was getting rid of mandates. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's any secret that I was opposed to mandates. And uh, you'll recall about this time, uh, I guess it was February of last year, the, the Premier at the time made the decision that the mandates had just become way too divisive. It was ripping apart families. It was ripping apart friendships. It was creating, I think, tension in society. And so we started moving towards endemic. And I think Alberta really became the first province to, to move firmly into treating uh, the COVID as pandemic or as endemic. And, and I continued on that when I became leader. I think a lot of people... Um, want to look forward. There's there's so much optimism, so many uh, people moving to this province, so much investment, so many jobs. I think that's part of the reason why why people want to put it in the rearview mirror, and that's what I've been focusing on. Um, 
yesterday was day two of the campaign. I've, I've covered a lot of um, political campaigns, as you know, over the years. I've, I've never, I can't remember, I was thinking about it, I can't remember a candidate who wouldn't be running to a camera or a microphone on day two of the campaign. You were unavailable um, to media yesterday. Can you explain that strategy? Are we going to see a, a limited um, amount of media availabilities for Daniel Smith going forward? Well, I can tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, call out the media and have a major press conference only to reannounce things we've already announced. Uh, what I will do is every time I do have a press conference, it will be because we're announcing some new policy. That, and it's going to be substantive, and we're going to, to, be, to be taking questions from the media, uh, just like it was on Monday. We had a substantive new policy that we were announcing that we're creating a brand new tax bracket for personal income taxpayers so that we now have an, we'll have an 8% rate up to $60,000 saving families. $760 for individuals and $1,500 for, uh, for a couple. So those are the kind of things that I think are worth holding a press conference for, and we'll be having another one on Thursday. I also have a, 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 my, a couple of my candidates, Rebecca Schultz and Brian Jean, are going to be holding a, a press conference today at 11 o'clock as well. And so we'll, we'll be making sure that there's lots of announcements. It won't just be me because it is a team, mm-hmm. and so you'll be hearing announcements from other candidates too. Um, like I say, unusual for a leader. Is there, is, is there a strategy here with the party to try and limit your exposure? We know you've had issues before when it comes to press conferences and having to have corrections around imprecise language. Is there a strategy to limit your exposure to reporter questions? No, the strategy is simply this. If um, I hold a press conference and I'm there, people know that I'm going to be announcing something that's going to be meaningful and substantive and new. And so we've got uh, one coming up on Thursday, so I'm looking forward to making that announcement then. You made the, you mentioned the announcement. And, and Shay, I'm here talking to you. I, I know, I, I know, I, I understand. <laughs> I, am doing, I am doing individual one-on-one uh, media interviews as well. You can get a lot more discussed. Sometimes a press conference that doesn't allow you to get deeply into issues. And so I'll be making sure to do these and Facebook Lives. Um, and tell, and town halls and visiting co- constituencies and uh, sending off door knocking teams. Like it's it's pretty busy when you're campaigning. It is. I know. I know media is an important element, yeah. but it's not the only element of a campaign. Meeting meeting actual voters is also an important element of a campaign. Fair enough. Um, let's get to some of your announcements and the one that you made on Monday: the eight percent tax rate for income under sixty thousand dollars. The cost, uh, by your own admission, is a billion dollars a year. Uh, now, that, that's not a big deal when we've got two and a half billion dollar surpluses from oil revenue, but your budget in 2023 said the oil, you were forecasting the price of oil to be $79. It's under $70 today and dropping like a stone. Where are you going to come up with that billion dollars in lost revenue if it's not coming in from resource revenue? Well, I can tell you, we certainly do not want to become over-reliant on resource revenue. And our strategy with our fiscal framework was to make sure that we're doing a couple of things. One is to reinvest in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. We're going to keep all of the investment income in that fund. We're going, and we added $2 billion to it. So as that grows over time, that'll create a new revenue source. Plus, we're also paying down debt. We paid thir- down $13 billion of the Notley era debt, which frees up $500 million in finance charges. So on my personal view is that as we're paying debt down, as we're putting money aside, that those kind of dividends should be going back to Alberta taxpayers. So I think a, a prudent plan over the next four years to reduce that rate down to 8% is going to be affordable. I also think that it is going to cause more people to want to move to Alberta. And when people move here and have jobs here, it generates more revenue. We certainly saw that with our corporate income tax cut. When we reduced the rate from not least 12% down to 8%, we now have more corporate income tax revenue than we've ever had historically because people want to be here. Businesses want to set up. And so I expect that the same dynamic is going to happen once they once people know that this really is the best place 
from a, a taxpayer point of view to, to move to and to, and to raise a family. To the tune of several billion dollars, I mean, if you're taking a billion dollars out in tax revenue and the price of oil has dropped about $10 below where you're forecasting, and if I remember, that's a... I think it's over half a billion dollars for every dollar that it goes down. So you're talking about multiple billions of dollars again. What's the plan if suddenly you have a shortfall, which just based on these general numbers that we're seeing right now, it looks like you may well. Where do you make up the difference? We've got a balanced budget uh, legislation that we've put in place, so we will run a balanced budget. I would just encourage you to look at what the, the trend has been on corporate income tax revenue and personal income tax revenue over time. Uh, in the last 10 years, I believe it's gone to about $8 billion personal income tax revenue, up to $15 billion, because when you're growing your economy, you're growing your revenue. If you've got more people paying, then you can afford to, to have a, a lower tax rate, so everybody pays a little bit less. And those dollars then go into the economy and generates more revenue uh, on the corporate tax side. So I think that that's going to create a virtuous circle. We want to be the lowest tax jurisdiction in the entire country. But we already and are. We're a bit out of sync on. Well, we've been out of sync from British Columbia and Ontario for those at the lower end of the of the of the uh, of the tax um, uh, or lower end of the income bracket because they have, I think, a five percent rate in uh, both British Columbia and Ontario. So we want to we have a very generous basic personal exemption, but we yeah. want to make sure that our lowest income taxpayers also have the advantage that uh, that every that others enjoy. Um, one of the other announcements that you made on Monday was a continued fight against the federal carbon tax. And, and I guess the question is, and I, and I don't want to be, uh, you know, glib, how many times and how much money are you willing to spend on what most people have widely accepted as a losing battle? It's a ridiculous tax. The retail carbon tax is absurd. I just visited a business owner this week who thought he was doing the right thing, switching over his boiler system from diesel to natural gas because it's a cleaner burning fuel. And then he looked at his carbon tax bill. 67% of the cost of, uh, of his gas is, is, is made up in carbon taxes. We, we want to export our clean LNG to the world so that we can displace dirtier fuels. And right in Alberta, we're punishing those who are, who are switching to natural gas. It makes no sense. We have an approach where we believe emissions reductions can happen in, in quite a substantive way on the industrial side. We've got the Pathways Project, the oil sands that are, are planning to be net zero by 2050. Air Products is a net zero hydrogen facility. Dow Chemical is a net, a net zero petrochemical plant. Those are the things we want to invest in, not punishing somebody who's on a fixed income in January um, when they want to turn their heat up. That, that is absurd, and we absolutely will continue fighting it. I, I fully understand that you think it's absurd, and I, and I understand your reasons, and I even accept many of them, but I'm just saying it's been ruled constitutional by the Supreme Court and two provincial courts of appeal in this country. How can you possibly fight it, and how can you anticipate success when it's failed so many times already? There is no reason it has to triple between now and 2030. Remember, this is the deal that the, that the NDP made with the Liberals to keep the Liberals in power until 2025, is that they're going to be bringing through increases to these punitive carbon taxes. We've asked Rachel Notley to stand up to her federal leader and say, no, this, this can't happen here, not in Alberta. We're too dependent on our electricity grid, on natural gas, too dependent on home heating on natural gas. It's just punishing to individual taxpayers individual uh, and also anyone who uses power anyone who uses who uses home heating it's part of the reason why we also did a reprieve on the um, on the gasoline and diesel tax that we had because it's 14 cents a liter now is what the carbon tax is we've removed our 13 cents a liter fuel tax just to give people a break mm-hmm. because those kind of costs go into the escalating the cost of everything so yeah you bet we're going to keep on fighting saying that it's too high 
it's too high and it can't go any higher because uh, because regular people just can't afford it. Um, last one, and it's just, uh, I appreciate your time so much for joining us. Um, we got a lot of texts coming in, people wondering about how they can trust Danielle Smith because your position has changed so many times. There's just another story out today talking about, you know, I think it goes back to 2022 where you're on video somewhere uh, saying, you know what, maybe we shouldn't have doctor visits included in Medicare. You know this has come up multiple times, you, and I know you say you've signed the health guarantee, but with a position that changes so much, how big of a concern is your credibility, and how can Albertans trust you when they don't know you're going to say the same thing from one day to the next? Well, people know on the air, when I was on for six years, that I like to explore ideas, like to talk to people about a wide range of issues. When you're in government, it's different. I mean, in government, you, you have to make sure that uh, you're talking with your colleagues that, uh, and that you're looking at, at your agreements with the federal government. I signed a $24 billion health care deal with the federal government. They're going to be investing $24 billion new dollars into our province over the next 10 years, and we jointly agreed to uphold the principles of the Canada Health Act. And the foundational principle of the Canada Health Act is no one pays for a family doctor and no one pays for a hospital visit. And that partnership of getting those dollars in, getting more of Alberta's tax dollars back, is going to ensure that we can expand out the system, we can increase surgeries, we can reduce the wait time at hospital, and we can also expand out primary care. I was very excited about it. So I, that's the reason why, is because people should judge me by my actions. And one of my first actions was to make sure that we signed that deal so that we could have stability and fu- funding for health care so no one ever has to pay out of pocket. That's carved in stone. That's bedrock. Daniel Smith will leave politics before that happens. It will not happen under bedrock. your Bedrock. Got it. Bedrock. Okay. Ten-year um, deal. You bet. Okay. Uh, Ms. Smith, I appreciate we kept <laughs> you a little longer than we uh, we promised we would, but I do appreciate you sticking around, and thank you so much, and we'll chat again before the campaign's up.